Hi there, and welcome into episode number eight of BTN's Take 10 podcast. This is Alex Ruru of BTN.com, and I'm very glad and excited to be back and living in your earphones after a week-long hiatus for the show. Last week was kind of crazy with the 4th of July and everything, and we weren't able to put a podcast episode together, but don't worry, we're back, and we've got some fun stuff planned for the rest of the summer for the pod. We've got Big Ten Media Days coming up here in less than two weeks right here in Chicago. And after that, some of us at BTN are hopping on a bus in August to tour all 14 Big Ten campuses and hang out at some of the football practices. So definitely be on the lookout for some new and more football-focused guests as the season is just around the corner and coming up quick. So for this episode, I went out and got another football-focused guest, and his name has made the media rounds in the last week or so with an article he wrote about the struggles of being an undrafted free agent trying to make the NFL. It's former Michigan State linebacker Darian Harris, and he called in from East Lansing to join me, where he's currently training to hopefully find his way back to an NFL roster after being cut from the Cincinnati Bengals last year and suffering an injury in training camp with the Ottawa Red Blacks of the CFL. As you'll hear coming up, Darian is also a natural behind the mic, which will serve him extremely well in his post-football career as he aspires to be a sports journalist and sports broadcaster. And some of those abilities he has naturally and, and has learned along the way have already landed him a number of opportunities in sports media, which we get into coming up. And wherever he works full-time after his football career is over, we'll definitely be lucky to have him. And honestly, after talking to Darian, I, I realize I have to be more cautious going forward about booking people for this show who are way more talented than I am, like Darian is, at this whole sports media thing, because I'll be out of a job if I'm not careful. But uh, for real, Darian was great, despite some audio issues we had with our connection in the first half of the interview. So I apologize if a few of the answers sound a little choppy, but we did power through and straighten those out as the interview went on, so most of the interview sounds just fine. And I think you'll get the gist of what he's saying even when it gets a little choppy there in the middle. So uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Let's take Ten's discussion with Darian Harris. I'm very excited to be joined by former linebacker for Michigan State football from 2011 to 2015. He tied the record of playing in the most games in Michigan State football history with 54 and was a co-captain of the 2015 Big Ten champion Spartan football team. You can follow him on Twitter at dharris underscore 45. It's Darian Harris. What's up, Darian? How you doing? Good, man. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Are you uh, Are you in East Lansing right now? Yep. I'm in East Lansing. Um, been here uh, for the last, uh, I guess, about a month, uh, just rehabbing a hamstring injury. Uh, so, it's you know, it's always good to be back. Um, a little bit bittersweet, obviously, under the circumstances, but um, love being be, being back in East Lansing, love being able to be around, you know, the team, around the, the football building as much as possible, and uh, it, it's always good to be able to work out, you know, with the guys that you play with in college. Uh, you know, all the guys are, are back before training camp uh, starts in a couple weeks, so been uh, working out with Riley Buller a lot. Um, he's he's got, got a nice plan that I've been following with him. Uh, as well as some of the younger linebackers, Joe Bocci, uh, Byron, Byron Bulla, um, Kenny Willekes, as well as Matt Morrissey. So we've all been uh, kind of getting after it this last week, uh, and it's definitely fun to be able to do that. Yeah, and we'll get into the, some of those uh, unfortunate circumstances you mentioned here in a little bit. But um, how did you set up, 
I guess, going back to East Lansing to train with the team. You, you're uh, working on a, a master's degree, right? Is that is that kind of how you were able yeah, to uh, so, get, get back with the Spartans? So, yeah, so, I mean, I, I do that during the spring, uh, which would uh, subsequently be the off season. Uh, but, you know, the great thing about Michigan State is they always, the doors are always open for former players, so it's not really a situation where you even have to set anything up. Um, and I'm sure that goes for most programs, too. But uh, just thinking on, on Michigan State, you know, it's it, any time that you're in town, you can always come in and get a workout. If you want to work out with the team, they're more than welcome to allow you to do that. If you want to run with the team, you can do that. Or if you want to work out on your own time, you can do that as well. Um, but, you know, with the injury, obviously, I did kind of call ahead, called a Dave Yeager, Salonovo, and, and told them the situation, and they were more than happy to help me with the rehab process as well. So, uh, you know, that's just a testament to Michigan State and the family atmosphere that we have here in East Lansing. And one of the main reasons why I decided to come to Michigan State in the first place, um, and it kind of reigns true and reigns supreme, uh, you know, much more and after the years that your playing days have uh, been, you know, put behind you. Yeah, you mentioned the the injury you had uh, most recently. It was with the Ottawa Red Blacks of the uh, the CFL, and you got into that in a, a piece you recently wrote titled "Unemployed and Home Again: A Linebacker's Tale." It ran in a sports website called The Athletic up in Detroit, and it was about your your dreams of playing in the NFL and, and some of the struggles you've encountered since leaving Michigan State as you you chase that NFL goal. And I got to say, it was a very well written story. And I really enjoyed reading it. And I, I was just curious, what inspired you to write it, and how did you get involved with the athletic? Yeah, so they uh, they had actually contacted me a couple uh, weeks ago, wanted me to um, to actually, you know, essentially work for them and report for them uh, because <clears throat> the uh, the two founders of the Detroit branch are Michigan State grads, and uh, just left ESPN, uh, Katie Strang and um, um, uh, Craig Craig Constance. So. You know, the situation where they're looking for uh, a lot of different people to kind of uh, boost up their, uh, their um, you know, their, their staff and things like that is a, not really a, a startup, but more of a, you know, obviously a new branch in that branch in Toronto and Cleveland and things of that nature. So the Detroit branch is kind of new. Uh, and I, obviously I told them, you know, my main priority right now is still football. I'm still, um, you know, trying to take, take that dream. I don't want to give it up just yet, but I'd love to. Uh, you know, um, do any freelance work that you would have me do if any story ideas come up or if I came up with anything as well. So they came up with that idea really the following day to just kind of uh, write up, write about my journey, write about my story, and write about, you know, how hard it is making professional sports. So I was definitely glad to be able to do that and was able to crank that out on a Saturday and get it ran the next week. And I was definitely glad, you know, with uh, how widespread it went. It went far and beyond what I thought it would. It reached exactly the audience I wanted to, which was really for the younger audience, you know, whether that's parents that want to get the message to their kids, high school coaches, uh, even some college coaches and things of that nature. So, yeah, for those who don't know, The Athletic is a subscription-based sports website that's now operating in a handful of major cities. Like you mentioned, uh, they have it in Detroit, Toronto. Uh, There's a big effort here in Chicago as well. And it's kind of an effort to create this new self-sufficient ad-free type of platform in an era where sports writing obviously has had some setbacks with writers being laid off at major outlets like ESPN. Darian's story isn't behind a paywall though so I encourage everyone even if you're not subscribed to go read it at theathletic.com and Darian being a fantastic football player who like you said is, is not giving up on their dreams in the NFL 
quite yet, but you also have this kind of parallel broadcast journalism career going. I'm curious what you think about the future of a site like The Athletic. Do you, like, do you see these subscription-based sports writing outlets becoming more mainstream as we, we move along in the future of this industry? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that they'll become more mainstream. Uh, you know, first thing I noticed is that the subscription is not that expensive, so it's something that I think a lot of people will uh, just, you know, go for and, and go ahead and do, and it are kind of parallels to this kind of new uh, era with music as well, with uh, subscription-based streaming services. Uh, when you think of Tidal, Apple Music, Spotify, things like that, uh, I, I, I kind of think it's the exact same with, uh, with sports and wanting to get your news on sports. And I think it's just a situation where we're moving towards a digital age. Obviously, media is kind of dying away. Uh, it's being, you know, kind of overtaken, obviously, by social media. That's where everything goes for the news. So, you know, even if you think of, you know, uh, publications like USA Today, Washington Post, Time, uh, you know, New York Times, any big uh, news news outlet, nobody really kind of going to the sport necessarily or going outside, uh, especially, you know, young um, you know, younger people, younger generation people going outside to grab a newspaper and reading about it. They're going to these places, Twitter sites and Instagram pages and Facebooks and things like that to get their face. I think it's the exact same way with uh, these new kind of sports sites that are subscription-based. If you follow them on Twitter, you obviously get your subscription, and anytime they post a new story, you can go right to it and read it uh, because people are obviously constantly on social media scrolling for new news and stuff like that. So, um, as long as they still break, you know, the breaking news and things like that, just come on their Twitter site uh, or things like that, I believe that it will, you know, move into the right direction. But uh, I definitely think it is a huge future for a place like the Athletic because it kind of has a lot of mirror aspects to the Players' Tribune, which I think I appreciate because it's good, it's real um, stories. It's a lot of, you get a lot of different perspectives from uh, things that you haven't really been able to get before. You get a lot more intimate stories. You know, specifically in straight athletes, a lot more information on specific sports, whether that's analytics, um, you know, in, uh, strategy, you know, within sports, things like that. Uh, so it's not just all about reporting on a team and on a player. It's about reporting on whole teams and whole leagues and things of that nature. And I think a lot of people really appreciate that. Yeah, and we'll definitely get into your personal journalism aspirations here in a little bit. But I did want to dive more into that piece you, you wrote you refer to the place you're currently in as a undrafted free agent back in 2016, still trying to, to land your spot on a team as, as a sort of limbo. So how do you stay in shape? I mean, obviously you're working with Michigan State and, and working out with them, but how do you stay ready without the structure of your own team or, or organization really around you? How do you stay ready for, uh, for that call? Yeah, I think you just have to kind of rely on what you've known really for your entire life because uh, that's what you've been working for your whole life so I think you just kind of rely on that rely on uh, what you learned in college and in your short stints in your professional career and uh, you know that you know the routine you know what it takes uh, to jump right back into a game week uh, to be ready to go watch and film and things like that so and especially when you hit professional ranks they expect you to already know how to do these certain things so that's why there's not a lot of teaching going on in professional ranks obviously in, in practice there isn't a lot of contact uh, because they expect you to be professional so you know, right now, as a professional athlete, you're just expected to be ready to roll. You know, obviously, staying in physical shape um, is, is you 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 are what you make of it, and uh, being able to work at great facilities and machines obviously that a lot easier for me, uh, especially being able to work uh, out and with guys that are on the same path as I am. So, 
staying in physical shape is easy, and uh, you just you kind of get anxious. You kind of you know get ready to roll as soon as the call comes, so you know that you're going to be ready to, ready to go once that happens. Um, and then you just, you just watch as much football as possible. Honestly, you watch the games. Uh, you put yourself in the in the game like situations. Uh, you do a little bit of psycho cybernetics where you're visualizing what you'll be doing if you're in a game like situation. And uh, then hopefully as soon as the call comes, you'll be ready to roll. Yeah, can you sort of describe the, the type of stress, what it feels like to wait on that call, either from an NFL squad or the, the Ottawa Red Blacks or the CFL who you trained with before you got hurt? What's it like dealing with that day-to-day uncertainty? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's frustrating at times just because, like you said, it's, it's day-to-day uncertainty. And, uh, you know, this is, our, this is our job right now. You know, we're professional athletes, so... Uh, this is our this is our source of income. This is um, our source of living, at least for right now. And you know that there's obviously other options and other things that you can do. But it's hard to be able to jump something and then get an employer or something like that to understand that top of the hat could be gone. So it's hard to really land another job. that's going Just don't really know what to tell you. And uh, it's kind of the same way when you're at these places and we're in, uh, you know, in the NFL or in the CFL. Each day, uh, your day really isn't guaranteed. You could be gone uh, in a day kind of with no rhyme or reason. So uh, it, it definitely is something that uh, can take a toll on you if you let it, but it also is a lot of learning experiences for life that you can get out of it. And uh, you really just have to enjoy it as you can and try to have as much fun with it as possible. And uh, when it's all said and done, when it's time to hang it up, you'll know and you'll be able to kind of look back on your career and uh, just be able to, you want to be able to be happy with what you were able to do and accomplish. Yeah, you talked about going undrafted in in your article about uh, not being selected after having so much success at Michigan State, having injuries affect your pro day performance, and ultimately being cut from the Bengals last year in preseason. So how do you envision a path back to the NFL or to an NFL roster unfolding? Like what's the most realistic route for a player in your situation? Is it to show out in Canada and turn some heads that way, or do you think it's possible that uh, you're still in the NFL radar and, and a team will take a flyer on you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I know I'm still on radar, uh, but I think the most realistic possibility would be to go to the CFL, get a lot of film uh, there for in a year or two, and then be able to come back. And uh, there's been so many cases of that happening. And, you know, with the, with the way the NFL works, they, they need to be able to see what you can do. And the unfortunate part of not, you know, making it um, after preseason, <clears throat> not letting on a practice squad, not being picked up again, is you just don't have a lot of film. Uh, they don't. They obviously have your college student to go off of business. This isn't a college game anymore. They want professional film. And you can get that up in Canada. And so there's just a bunch of cases, a bunch of guys that I know that have gone to Canada for a year or two and then gotten a shot back in the NFL. And that's all you're looking for. You're just looking for uh, another shot, another chance to compete uh, way back in the camp. And uh, then, you know, if you don't make it again, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. But everybody just, just needs a chance. And that's all you really are, are hoping for is just to get a chance landing on a team that, that fits your style of play. Uh, it's just a really good situation for you personally and uh, trying to make the most of it. Yeah, so how do you remain on NFL radars if you're sidelined for a while like you've been? Is that – just your agent's responsibility, or are you staying in contact with teams? How does that work in a guy in limbo like yourself? Yeah, essentially it's just it's all on your agent, and, um, you know, they, they do the best they can to keep you on radar. And uh, the teams know who you are. They know that you're available. 
and it's just a matter of if they want to pull the trigger on you, if they are content with their roster, or if they need help at a certain position. Uh, so you know that's that's you know kind of why I use the term limbo. There's only so much, so many people in your corner can do, and uh, you know as you move through the ranks, obviously your parents have less and less influence on uh, where you end up, when where you land, and, and how much you play. Um, to the point now where you know you, when you think back to little league and high school. There's always those stories of parents going up to coaches and asking why their son or daughter isn't playing, <laughs> right. things like that. Once you get to this level, there's absolutely none of that. And really, college, there wasn't any of that either. So it's really up to your agent to do the best job that they can to keep you on radar, keep you in people's minds in case an injury happens and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, for yourself personally, there's, unless you, you know, know somebody, uh, then there's really nothing that you can personally do. Uh, to try to speed up the process. The only thing you can do is control what you can control, and that's the fact that when the call does happen, you're as ready to go as possible. Yeah, so football is something that's definitely still on the table for you, but like I mentioned earlier, you definitely have a very viable career that you're working toward alongside and after your football career is officially over, and that's that's sports broadcasting. And you've been a regular co-host on 92.1 on The Drive with Jack, uh, Jack Ebling and East Lansing, is that right? Yep. Right. So how did that come about, and uh, what's your comfort level speaking on sports radio? It sounds like, from the way this interview is going, that uh, you have no problem, you know, settling in and talking sports. Yeah, yeah it was funny. Like, all of the local media um, personalities around East Lansing knew that, that my major was journalism. I kind of ended up, especially during my senior year, kind of being late liaison between the media and the team. And uh, it was a situation where, you know, sometimes players don't really understand the job of media, and sometimes media don't under, doesn't, under, doesn't understand the job uh, of the players. So there's sometimes there's some rifts in that uh, relationship, and I was kind of able to bridge some of those gaps. And then after my, you know, playing days at Michigan State, Jack was able to come to me, uh, especially during the offseason or after I was in Cincinnati, and offer me a co-hosting position once a week. And uh, as I moved through that, you know, so I've been doing it pretty much for about a year now. You know, you just get more and more comfortable doing it. Then I'm transitioned to uh, also doing press pass on Fox uh, 47 with him on te- television. So being a panelist with with him and uh, on on, cer- on certain Sundays, uh, that you know that then led to if he was out of town, I I do the tie J- drive with Jack myself, uh, the Spartan beat that's hosted by Rico Beard from six to seven, also on ninety two one. If, if he needed an uh, alternate, then I was one able to fill in for that. So I definitely got really comfortable just being in that chair, being on radio, um, co-hosting with Jack or hosting the show by myself if need be. And uh, it was a way to get my opinion and my voice out there and also get some experience, obviously, get some job experience within radio and within television and just kind of understanding how all of that works. Yeah, and you were also a commentator for Michigan State's spring game this past spring for, for us here at Big Ten Network. You were alongside uh, legendary Detroit Pistons announcer George Blaha, and I gotta say, like I watched that game, and as I was listening, he sounded like a total pro, complete professional. Never would have guessed that you were 23, 24 years old if I didn't know the backstory of who you were beforehand. So you did a fantastic job on that, and I'm wondering, was it intimidating at all alongside a guy like George Blaha, who I, I mentioned has uh, a, a ton of respect? in Michigan and Detroit for all the years he's put in as the Pistons announcer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, George is a legend. And, you know, fortunately for me, obviously he called my games at Michigan State, but even kind of beyond that, uh, he's, he's really close with, with Jack, with Jack Elvin. So 
while I've been co-hosting the show with him for a year. Uh, George was often one of our guests, uh, especially when I was on because of my love for the NBA. So George was often one of our guests. I got to really, really know him extremely well through that. So by the time we went, you know, to, to do the um, spring game, we already had a really good relationship. So that, I think, took some of the intimidation and the nerves out of it. Just because we, we knew each other extremely well. We talked uh, on a pretty, um, you know, constant basis. And uh, like I said, he's just he's a professional, obviously. So I just kind of followed his lead and went with it. You know, I, I when I watch any type of sports games, I study the announcers, I study the commentators just as much as I watch the game. And I try to take what I've learned from uh, everybody that I've watched, uh, as well as George, obviously, in broadcast and put it put it to uh, put it to commentary in the spring game. You know, I, I was even uh, I was even more kind of worried about that. I had issues to fill, obviously, with Kirk Cousins, who had done it two years in a row. Sure. Uh, so those were pretty big shoes to fill, obviously, stepping in for him. But uh, it definitely went well. It definitely went extremely smooth, and hopefully I'll be able to do it again next year. Yeah, do you think you prefer uh, something like the Sports Talk daily radio show that you do with Jack, or do you prefer the more of a color commentary setting where you're you're calling a game and you're you know you're, you're giving that analysis that you picked up on the football field in real time yeah i think i, I right now enjoy uh, more of the sports talk uh so i can talk all sports especially uh basketball i think if i was able to do color commentary for basketball maybe i would um kind of enjoy that more but i love both honestly you know it's really one a one b um and i had a really good job obviously commentating the games i really enjoyed the time I'm able to uh, co-host with Jack, you know, there's the, the Moneyball uh, Pro-Am going on here in uh, in the Lansing area, and I was able to do commentary for that yesterday, um, I believe it was yesterday, yep, yesterday with, um, or two days ago actually now, with, with Jack, because the 92.1 was uh, broadcasting the Moneyball games. So, uh, I'm definitely glad to have latched on to a organization that does a lot, you know, obviously with the radio, the TV, going around the broadcasting games, things like that. Uh, it really gives you a lot of experience and exposure to all different facets of the media. And now, obviously, I'm written for the athletic. I kind of have the entire spectrum kind of filled, uh, with, like I said, with all different aspects of being in uh, sports media. Yeah, and for those who don't know, the Moneyball Pro-Am, that's kind of a, a famous event in Michigan that Michigan State players take part in pretty much every year and this past year miles bridges uh kind of blew up twitter with some of the dunks he had in the moneyball program what was it like calling a, a game like that where this dude was just you know letting loose on the court and unleashing between the legs dunks and, and, and getting the crowd hyped pretty much every play okay it's just, you know obviously everybody knows the type of athlete and the type of player that miles is and the fact of the matter is you know, obviously, Vegas has already said, you know, Michigan State has the best odds to win it all uh, this year in the NCAA tournament with all the talent coming back. We also got to look at Jaron Jackson uh, Jr. for the first time, which was sure. really exciting. Um, last week, Kay Felder, uh, from the, who played in Oakland with the Cavs now, he was here before he had to head to Vegas, and uh, he was doing some sensational dunks and had a great, great game against Miles. So, the guys that run through will come through money balls are um, are exceptional players and you get to see a lot of guys that are household names and some that are not. You know, um, you know, just two days ago with Derek Bolton Junior was in the house. He didn't he wasn't suited up to play yet, but we were able to get him on the broadcast and interview him. Um, you know, point guard from, from Michigan. So uh in summer league 
duties are now done, and he's hoping to be able to suit up as well. And uh, so you're always going to get to see your Michigan State players. You're going to see a lot of pro players and a lot of players from the area that are playing other colleges and universities. And uh, the uh, you know it's 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 a program. You know it's kind of got a little bit of an all-star feel, but at the same time, it's competitive games. People are out there playing defense. You're going to get your highlight dunks because nobody wants to get hurt, so nobody's going to really get in the way of somebody streaking down the lane. But uh, when we get into these last four minutes of the game, it gets competitive. You know, Tuesday we had a a, a game uh, extending three by Tum Tum, and then the game tying three at the buzzer to send it in overtime. Uh, when you get 2,000 fans in there, you know, with the pack the house, it gets it gets pretty exciting. Yeah, man. Honestly, I didn't even yeah. know that the Moneyball or events like the Moneyball even existed until this year. I I grew up in Illinois, and our state doesn't have any sort of programs like that where the the colleges and and then professional players can get involved. So I think that's really cool. And uh, no better way to market it than Miles Bridges and uh, guys like Kay Felder getting out there and and uh, running and you know pleasing the fans a little bit. So that, that's pretty cool. I'll definitely be following from now on. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's it's um, you know the situation where Desmond Ferguson is running Moneyball does a fantastic job of uh, putting on a great show. You know, he makes it free to the public, which is really good. And, uh, you know, the best part is the kids in the area can come in, can watch, you know, their favorite players play, can get pictures with Miles and the rest of the Michigan State players and get autographs after the game. And uh, Michigan State players are just so great at doing that, especially Miles. I mean, he doesn't turn any photo op or autograph down. And uh, he's just so – he's such an available guy, which is great for your superstar. Uh, and like I said, I mean, it, it's, it, it becomes standing room only uh, when Miles is playing. I mean, the bleachers are filled. Uh, then you got everybody standing around watching what what he's going to do, and he puts on the show every single time. Yeah, and like you mentioned, it's going to be very interesting to follow Michigan State basketball this year, coming in probably preseason top 10, top 5 as the Big Ten favorite. So that'll be fun to follow. But I want to get a little more into your background in sports media and ask, when did you decide to pursue a career in this field, in this industry, and what was the inspiration for, for taking that route growing up? Yeah, I originally wanted to go into engineering, honestly, growing up. Uh, that's that's all I wanted to be was a construction engineer. And then, you know, like what happens to a lot of people, you kind of get to college and something just kind of hit me that uh, all I wanted to do was talk about sports for the rest of my life. And uh, the best route to do that would be to major in journalism. You know, we see so many times now retired professional athletes uh, getting the getting jobs on ESPN and and Fox and things like that and, and doing a phenomenal job with it. Uh, I just wanted to have also have the background to go along with uh, with the athletics and being a, a former player. So that's why I decided to go to the journalism route. Uh, the J School, obviously, at Michigan State is phenomenal and has launched a lot of careers for a lot of really really good people in the business. Uh, you know, Jamel Hill and people like that who have yep. obviously gone on to do great things. And so uh, it was just a situation where. I uh, realized that's what I wanted to do, and uh, this was the best route to go to be able to achieve that, and I'm definitely glad I did it. So what's your big picture ultimate goal for a career in sports media? Is it being the, the number one guy in a major network for NFL games, or is it maybe crossing over calling, calling college basketball or NBA, like you said? What's what's your ultimate vision? Uh, my ultimate vision would probably be to have my, my own show, my own talk show, um, and and then be able to uh, to call and report on on NBA and college basketball games. Uh, you know, basketball allows me to 
be a true fan of the game. Not that I'm obviously not a fan of football as well. But, you know, when you're playing it, when you're in the mix, uh, it, it doesn't really give you a lot of time to step back and really appreciate uh, the, the sport uh, in terms of being able to watch somebody do something that you can't. Uh, I, I think that's where fandom comes from. So uh, for me, it's always been that's that's always been that way for me with basketball. Um, you know, I'm a huge advocate, maybe the biggest advocate for the NBA. Uh, love the NBA. I, I watch anything NBA. I watch the summer league every day, and uh, just being able to, to call and report on that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'm gonna get into your NBA fandom, the background of that a little bit here in a second. And you grew up in in Maryland, in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is just a few metro stops down from Washington D.C. And the reason I bring this up is because I got a I got a good friend out there who went to Illinois with me who mentioned that you were a, a huge Kobe Bryant fan growing up. Yeah. So I, I got a yeah. So being such a big NBA fan, uh, why did you choose why did you choose Kobe the Black Mamba? <laughs> yeah. So um, when I was, uh, you know, I guess you know around seven or eight, when you can really understand what's going on on the court. Uh, at the more well, at the time, I guess still now, my dad is a humongous, uh, humongous Shaquille O'Neal fan. So at the time, obviously Shaq was with the Lakers, and I would watch all the Lakers games with my dad. And there was this little skinny kid that was running around, kind of tailing after Shaq, and that was Kobe Bryant. So I kind of latched on to being a huge Kobe fan when my dad was a Shaq fan, and that was kind of you know father son bonding time was watching Lakers games. And then from then on, as I kind of, you know, got older and got into sports and started really understanding, uh, you know, Kobe, his drive, his mentality, um, you know, when that black mama kicks in, I just had a, I, you know, extreme admiration for how he approaches his business uh, and what, how he conducts himself on the court in terms of that don't want to lose, nobody's going to stop me mentality. Uh, so Kobe's always been my favorite athlete of all time. He always will be. Uh, now what he's doing off the court I think is amazing, you know, starting investors, uh, investor business, doing a lot of stuff with children shows and kids shows. Uh, he's, he's a completely different person now, which is funny, in retirement. I mean, he's a completely different person. But, um, I mean, I literally grew up uh, watching Kobe Bryant, being a humongous Lakers fan, uh, still a huge Lakers fan to this day. Uh, that'll never change. So, you know, watching Lonzo go for 36 last night was great. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, hopefully, you know, Magic made the right choice uh, taking him to number two. Yeah, so being a Kobe fan with your dad, uh, Shaq fan, I mean, obviously those guys weren't always on the best of terms. Was there a little rivalry with you and your pops? <laughs> no, uh, luckily we, um, uh, he, well, yeah, kind of, you know, I, we didn't make it a rivalry. He kind of wanted me to transition more to being a LeBron fan. And uh, in the last few years, I've, I've you know, had a extreme uh, profound admiration for, for LeBron uh, with what he's been able to do both on and off the court. Uh, but, you know, especially when I was at Michigan State, you know, my dad was always trying to get me to kind of emulate LeBron's leadership qualities and leadership skills instead of Kobe's, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, but, yeah, there was never really any route with that. You know, I just remember watching them win three straight from 2000 to 2002. Uh, I remember Robert Ory hitting the big shot um, and, and exactly where I was watching that with my dad. So those are those, those kind of lifelong memories I remember for the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up LeBron because that was going to be my next question. Who are you taking if you got to start a franchise and both are 18 years old, Kobe or LeBron? I think you got to take LeBron, and it took me a while to get, come to that realization. Um, you know, this this is you know this this is a, a topic that would take a whole another three hours. But I I personally believe LeBron is the best player to ever touch a basketball. 
um, in the history of the NBA. And uh, just what he's been able to do is, is phenomenal. Um, the way he plays the game is unbelievable. When his career is all said and done, he might be top five in three statistical categories, which would be amazing. Um, you know, there's always a rings argument, which I understand, but um, they didn't use to count rings. They, didn't re- they really didn't in the 90s. And I think he's still got a few more to go. And hopefully next year he'll be drawn out to the Lakers, which would just be uh, be fantastic for me and be a great story for a fitting career. So you're going uh, LeBron over Jordan then even? Absolutely. All right, mark it down. Might uh, Maybe that will cause a, cause a controversy and get people to listen in. Who knows? Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, so, yeah, my, my buddy out in Silver Spring, uh, Eli, he also gave me some background on you told me you were a big fan of superheroes. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Big fan. All right, All right. I'm going to need your top three superheroes. Um, rank them for me. Um, top three in terms of my my favorites would be uh, Superman, Iron Man, and Wolverine. Um, you know, that's funny because, you know, obviously the new Spider-Man movie came out, um, and I saw it on Tuesday. And any movie with Iron Man, I call it an Iron Man movie, so I, I called it uh, Iron Man 7. This would be the seventh movie that that uh, Tony Stark has been in, but um, you know Superman's always been kind of my favorite. I have the Superman tattoo, um, Superman license plate, Superman, um, you know, uh, um, floor floor mats in my car, and uh, then Iron Man comes after that. Uh, just because I love Tony, I love uh, his you know his charismatic nature, his sarcasm, um, and then Wolverine. It's just somebody I've always kind of related to just with, uh, obviously, with just his healing ability. You know, I've always been somebody I think that's been a pretty fast healer, um, especially with, you know, the hamstring and stuff like that. Um, somebody that can just bounce back any time, can take a hit and get up and keep rolling. So those have always been my three, and uh, the movies have never let me down either. All right, so here's my thing with superheroes, and, and don't get mad at me for this. I'm a casual fan. Like, I'll, I'll see a Batman or Superman or Deadpool or any of those movies, if they get good reviews and I hear good things, and, yeah. and by the way, I heard the Spider-Man movie that just came out is, is heard great things about it, so I'm going to have to probably check yeah, that out. Exactly. Yeah, so there's just so many superhero movies now and, and sequels and, and remakes and everything like that, and I'm like, I don't have a big enough knowledge of the background of, of these backstories of all the heroes to be caught up with all the all the movies. So like when these sequels and everything come come out... I always get intimidated and stay away from the theater. So my question to you is, like, are all these superhero movies worth it? Like, are, are all the uh, the remakes and all that really necessary, or, or is it uh, is it overkill at times? I think it can be overkill at, at certain times, and I think it's just they're cranking them out so fast that uh, it kind of seems like a lot. It's just a lot to keep up with. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, you know, as Eli Price told you, I mean, it, this has been since middle school. So I, I know the backgrounds and everything. So it's easier for me to keep up because I know, uh, you know, everything that goes into these stories and stuff like that. But, you know, with, with Marvel especially, I mean, there's just so many that you have to keep up with. And they all relate. You know, they're, they're all part of one big, huge story. Right. Um, and you have to, which, you know, which goes with what. You know, which remake goes with which thing. I mean, you know, with Spider-Man, just for example, you know, Marvel had to buy, or Disney had to buy the rights of Spider-Man back from Sony. So, you know, the last two uh, Spider-Man franchise, I mean, this is the third, you know, remake of Spider-Man uh, that we've had in our life Since we were kids, you yeah. Know? I mean, I remember seeing the right. the Tobey Maguire one when I was like 10 exactly. years old. Exactly. And none of the previous two have anything to do 
with this one because they had to buy the rights. So then that, that that's when it gets to be a little much. But uh, I just appreciate the stories. I appreciate, you know, Stanley and what he's been able to bring to the screen, um, and especially with Marvel. You know, Marvel is a company that listens to their fans. And maybe that's why I love the NBA so much as well, just because of how they market uh, their, their product. They, they like to listen to their fans. And if uh, their fans are, are calling for something, Usually they'll they'll um you know they'll foot the bill on that and put it in uh, to whatever they're they're cranking out. Marvel's really good at listening to uh, what the fans want and then transpiring to putting that on the screen. So uh, they 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 haven't missed honestly. They they do a great job of uh, with what they do. DC at comics obviously is trying to catch up with Justice League and stuff like that. But it really seems like every month a new superhero movie is coming out. Yeah, man. Like I said, it can be overwhelming for me. But I definitely can appreciate the passion that a lot of uh, superhero fans have. You know, it's it's easily relatable to to sports with the uh, the passionate fan bases. But um, shifting gears a little bit, you brought up your dad a little bit earlier, and you mentioned him having a big influence on you, both in the article and on the show here. He played college football for Virginia Tech, and and you've credited him with instilling a strong work ethic in you and your brother. And uh, one of his quotes that stuck out to me that I think you you mentioned in a, in a story when I was reading up on you, he said, uh, being average isn't okay, being normal isn't okay, and being lazy isn't okay. Like, to me, that just sounds like the perfect role model for a, an aspiring football player like yourself. If, if you, uh, especially being, you know, sort of undersized, you're, you're 5'11", 220, 225, that, that just sounds like right. uh, the perfect motivator for, for someone like yourself. No, definitely, absolutely. I mean, he um, understands the value of hard work and uh you know one thing he told myself and my brother who you know hasn't touched a, a um you know athletic ball in his life was you know he doesn't he didn't care what we did you know he didn't push me to play football uh just like he didn't uh care that my brother decided to go into acting instead of playing sports he just said whatever you decide to do you're going to do it to the best of your ability and uh you're going to be the you're going to aspire to be the best at it and i think that that's what stuff that i've always taken to heart something my brother has always taken to heart. And uh, I think it's healthy because, you know, so many times you hear stories of dads that, that push their sons to play sports who don't really want to. It's all right not to be an athlete. You know, obviously what we see with my brother and what he's been able to do, obviously landing at Yale, it's perfectly fine not to be an athlete. But whatever you do decide to do, you got to put your all into it. And uh, he's preached that from day one and continues to preach it now. And uh, it doesn't matter if I'm 4 or 40, he's still going to be preaching that uh, to myself and my brother. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you always hate to see when you got the helicopter parent that is making the son or daughter play a sport that you know they're not really into, or they only got one narrow right. vision for what they want their child to become. Um, and kind of along those lines, with him going to Virginia Tech, obviously you did not stay out east for your college football career. Being on the East Coast uh, from the DMV, why did you choose Michigan State out of the twenty or so offers that you had coming out of high school? Uh, it was honestly the family atmosphere and the brotherhood here at Michigan State. You know, I only took one official visit, and I was here to Michigan State and fell in love with the university uh, as soon as I came out here. You know, Coach D'Antonio is amazing in what he does. Uh, I believe he's the best coach in the country, and uh, it just it's it was special. Um, you know, it, it was uh, it was something where you just got that feel that this is where you wanted to be. This is a place that you wanted to spend four or five years of your life at. And that was the best decision I could have ever made. You know, I made lifelong friends, obviously, the guys that I played with. And we were able to accomplish a lot here. So I think it was just a matter of a lot of guys coming from a lot of different places that all bought into the same system 
and we're able to then crank out results from that. Yeah, and getting into your time with Michigan State a little deeper here, you played in the Rose Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, the college football playoff. You won the Big Ten twice, and you experienced beating your hated rival, uh, Michigan, in the big house in one of the craziest finishes of all time. So I'm just wondering, what's your favorite memory from your playing career at Michigan State? It doesn't even have to be any of the ones I just listed. What, what was what was uh, the best moment from your time there? Yeah, for me, um, it was uh, it's actually something that kind of just hit me recently. Um, you know, I, we're playing in such such big games, and all of those have been great. But when I came on my official visit, um, I never forget. They always take you to a basketball game, and I went to um, you know we went to the basketball game. I think we were playing against Bowling Green or something like that, and at halftime. The, uh, the seniors of the football team brought out the 2010 Big Ten Championship Trophy uh, led by Greg Jones, I believe. You know, Kirk, Kirk wasn't a senior, but he was obviously out there and things like that. And I said, in five years or four years, I want to be doing that. And I was able to do that five years later, walk out to half court um, with uh, Shalik, Connor, LT, Donovan, um, all the seniors we had with the Big Ten Championship Trophy uh, after beating I- Iowa that year. Uh, to a standing ovation in the pack house in Breslin. So that's definitely my best memory because it was something that I aspired to do five years prior and was able to do it five years later. And uh, it's just one of those things where you kind of set your goal to do something and when you're able to accomplish it, it really sounds, it really makes yourself feel good. Let's move into your, uh, your time with the Cincinnati Bengals. You were on their training camp preseason roster before being cut in uh, 2016. So, what were some memorable experiences during during your short time there that stu- stood out? If there were teammates that were over the top or, or uh, your participation maybe in some of those rookie shows that we see on Hard Knocks, what are some experiences that you had in Cincinnati that uh, that you took with you beyond uh, beyond that team? Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. Obviously, the rookie show was uh, was a fun thing to do, and uh, luckily for me, I got to just MC the rookie show. So that was kind of how I got out of doing a uh, crazy thing. I just I just was able to be the master of ceremonies for our rookie show. Uh, but, you know, one, one of the things I learned that I always tell people is that uh, Vontez Perfect, who, um, you know, obviously doesn't have uh, the best reputation around the NFL, is far and beyond the smartest football player I've ever been around. And I think that that's something that a lot of people wouldn't expect. Uh, obviously, he has the physical gifts and the talent and ability, but his, um, you know, his football knowledge is through the roof. And I learned a ton from him uh, while I was there. Um, you know, wasn't it wasn't he wasn't trying to be your best friend now, but uh, he knew football and uh, he wanted he wanted the team to be great. So um, I definitely learned a ton from him. Uh, I did have to go on a little protein run for him and get him a bunch of protein powders. Uh, but that was that was really the extent of the rookie hazing that we had. I think it's died down a lot, uh, especially since kind of hard knocks and stuff like that has come out. Uh, but you know, I definitely learned a ton from him. Pac Man Jones as well. Uh, you know, as his age to move like he does is, is phenomenal. Um, you know, being able to line up opposite A.J. Green was obviously fantastic. Uh, being able to do that, you know, watching Geno Atkins on a day-in and day-out basis. So you definitely see how talented and good these guys are in the NFL. And uh, it's kind of surreal at first to really be lined up, um, you know, not just be in a locker room with them, but if I'm looking across the line, I see A.J. Green in front of me. Uh, and that's a pretty surreal experience at first. Yeah, it's kind of surprising to be honest about Vontez and, and Pac-Man Jones because, you know, they have their reputations and a lot of it's well-deserved for being 
dirty players or, or head cases, but yeah, it's it's good to have that behind the scenes uh, knowledge that you have that you know it, there's a fantastic football mind behind behind that physicality and that he didn't get to where he is by accident. Um, and before I let you go, I, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about Michigan State football and get into the future uh, of what awaits the Spartans program. Obviously, Michigan State took a took a big step back last year after winning the Big Ten two years ago in your last season. Um, so they were 3-9 and nine last year, which kind of recalibrated a lot of fan expectations for what to expect in 2017. What do you think is a realistic expectation for next season and, and going forward under D'Antonio? Uh, <clears throat> I expect them to uh, eventually ascend back to the success that we had, maybe not right away, but I think that this will be a nice year to kind of put themselves back into the conversation. Uh, you know, I'm not expecting a 12-0 and season, but I think that they're going to win some games that maybe they're, they're paid to not win, which would be really good. And I think it's really good for the team right now to just be flying under the radar. I think that, that Michigan State has had a history of coming back a season after not doing so hot and having a great season after that. Obviously, 2012, we go 7-6. and six. The following year, we win a Rose Bowl. And this is a little bit more different of a situation, so I don't think you can really compare the two. But I'd never coach a coach or count a coach D'Antonio-led team out. You know, I know that he's going to have his team ready to go. And like I said, they're, they're able to fly under the radar now. They haven't gotten any media attention. Uh, all, all anybody can do is, is speculate about what's going on and what's happening. Uh, and I think that they're really going to come out and surprise a lot of people this year. Yeah, like you said, they might be an under-the-radar team. Give me an under-the-radar player, either on offense or defense, special teams, whatever, who you're looking at to have a breakout season next year for Michigan State. Uh, I'm really excited to see Kenny Willekes at defensive end, see what he can do. Uh, he's a guy that came in as a walk-on, earned a scholarship, has been moved around just because of his uh, physicality and tenaciousness, and they've been trying to find a good spot for him. And I think he's found a home at defensive end, and I think that's going to be an area, a little bit of a concern on the team that a lot of guys are going to have their eyes on. Uh, but I think that Kenny has been working extremely hard to put himself in position to be a starter on this team. Uh, he's a guy that I talk to, talk to daily just about, and I see the work he's putting in. And he's going to be a technician out there, and he's got a high motor. So I'm definitely excited to see what he can do. All right, and like you mentioned, there's no reason to doubt a Coach D'Antonio-led team, especially given his track record. So that's all I've got for you, Darian. I appreciate you joining me. Thanks so much. Obviously, best of luck trying to land on a NFL roster and get back into football going forward. But I think you'll be just fine no matter what happens with your with your football career because you got a broadcasting career that's definitely – uh, set up well for you going forward. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thanks again to Darian for joining me, and thanks to everyone out there for listening. If you're a Michigan State fan listening for the first time, please don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Podbean, and give the show a rating and comment if you liked it. And like I mentioned earlier, we're working to get some additional exciting guests lined up as we prepare for football season, so you definitely will not want to miss that. And if you're just a general fan of the show and you haven't subscribed or rated it yet, what's wrong with you? Go do that right now. Seriously, go. Do it. But for real, thanks to everyone as always for listening. Good luck to Darian in his future endeavors. I'm sure he'll be successful wherever he goes and ends up. And thanks to Wes White for producing the show. We'll talk to you next time on Take 10.